This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. Our fabulous engineer, Danielle, is always thinking about what songs to pull up. And the theme of this half hour, we're going to talk about the aging of the population. Good news, Dan. We're living longer. Nice. And, and that could very well include you and me if we behave ourselves. Well, isn't that – that's not really true the last couple of years, isn't it? Life expectancy is going down, driven uh, driven only, by white males dying only, younger. Yeah, only if you're a white – a poor white male. Otherwise, it's been going up for okay. a long time. Okay, Right. So except for those folks and uh, African-Americans going up as well. Mm-hmm. So everybody but, I think, poor white <clears throat> Men, particularly rural, particularly uneducated. Yes. I think maybe women, too. Um, but other than that, life expectancy has been going up. And this is a great thing, except sometimes not everybody thinks it's a great thing because they look at aging in the U.S. and the economy and they say, oh, bad news. So we want to talk about that. And with us to talk about it is James Appleby, who's the CEO of the Gerontological Society of America and the new report uh, that came out this week, which I chaired. Um we're going to talk about what that uh, report is about and how to think about it going forward. James, welcome. Thank you, Peter. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so, James, let's start with some basic stuff for people who are not paying attention to what's going on in society. Um, the U.S. population is aging, right? But what does, that, what does that mean when people say, oh, we're aging? What's that mean? Everybody's obviously getting older, right? What's going on? It- Indeed, we're all getting older, and that's uh, that's a blessing. But uh, what the U.S. public really doesn't notice, Peter, is that uh, we are going through a, a true transformation in terms of the age structure of our population, and it's it's a permanent change yeah. in which uh, the number of individuals uh, uh, who are older in the population are uh, quickly going to outnumber those that uh, that are younger. For mm-hmm. example. If you think about the population that's 65-plus, um, by 2035, there will be more individuals 65-plus in, uh, in the United States than those under 18. Oh, cool. So this transformation is, is very real, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be a permanent change in the, in the structure. It's not just a result of the baby boom population. Mm-hmm. It's going to mm-hmm. be a permanent change. Mm-hmm. So uh, things are going to be a little bit different uh, in American society in, uh, in the decades ahead. And, and this is because, so there's a bunch of ways that uh, population could age, right? One is you could just stop having kids, and so the average changes, uh, and you could do it with immigration, with people coming in being different ages, or people could be living longer, and that's the big one, right? People are living longer, right? That, that, that is, and it's a, it's a good news situation. And people are living longer for a lot of reasons that aren't actually noticed by, uh, by most Americans. We always okay. think of the biomedical innovations, and that's yeah. certainly a case. Immunizations in particular, I'm a big fan of, uh, of ways to prevent disease. Um, but uh, other reasons as well that we don't notice, like uh, wonderful research done that helps us ensure we have clean water and clean air and yeah. farmers can produce enough food for the population and good sanitation. These 
these factors really contributed in a big way uh, to increasing longevity, overall mm-hmm. population health, yep. uh, and then the biomedical innovations of recent uh, decades as well has been an extremely important contributor. You know, another one that really surprised me a lot was the importance of childhood nutrition. Now, you wonder, you know, what does childhood nutrition have to do with aging? Well, it turns out that um, lots of diseases that are associated with age, chronic chronic diseases like uh, uh, diabetes and various kinds of heart disease, um, show up uh, much later in life because of improvements in health of when you're young. Right. Interesting. So, if you went back to the Civil War, for example, there were mm-hmm. some. This is the first sort of serious epidemiological studies in the U.S. done the Civil War. Uh, they found that Civil War veterans were getting chronic illnesses of age in their forties. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had COPD and they had all these other, you know, hypertension, all these diseases that were going to kill them uh, in their forties. And over time, uh, life ex- those diseases arrived but later and later and later and later, right? So it used to be, even when we were kids, uh, people in their 60s were mm, old, pretty old, right? Yeah. We're living about uh, seven or eight years longer than our parents. Uh, and the other part of that, J- James is getting at, is that we are also living healthier, right? So that it's not just that we're living longer and we're in nursing homes yeah. uh, for longer. Uh, James, I thought one of the most startling statistics for me and surprised me and lots of other people, if you look at the stereotype of, of old people at the very end of their lives as everybody's in a nursing home, but it looks like it's only a fraction, right? As I recall from your report, it's about a third or something like that of people end up in any kind of institutionalized care like that. And they, the typical stays only a year. So the idea that they're hanging around for a long time in nursing homes is simply not true, right? Did I get that right? That, that's right, Peter, and it, it is a, a misconception. And in general, I would say that aging in America gets a really bad rap. I mean, the, the general uh, perspective on aging when you do research with the American public is it's purely about decline, disability, and, right. and ultimately, of course, of course, death. And, in fact, uh, that is the, the perception that Americans have, but it's not at all aligned with with the reality of population aging. And your case example of nursing homes is a great example. Yeah, only about one-third of older adults uh, ever end up in any sort of institutional facility. But at any one time, it's a much smaller percentage. Just a couple percent of the American public is actually in uh, an institutional setting. Yeah. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it, it's not the future. The, it, aging has changing dramatically, mm-hmm. but uh, the public perception of aging has not kept up with uh, scientific mm-hmm. reality. Uh, let's just talk about the baby boom for just a minute and make sure we all understand the demographics uh, of that. Uh, the baby boom, do you happen to know, James? I don't. The average age of baby boomers now, baby boomers were people born uh, from, what, 1946 through 1965 or so? Yeah, is that about right? right? Through 64. 64, yeah, okay. 64. Uh, and what is the average age of baby boomers right now? Do you happen to know? I suppose we could work it out here quickly. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, don't know what the average age is at this point, but I can tell you that uh, right now uh, on a daily basis about 10,000 people hit 65 and are going to continue 
uh, that way for you know another ten or twelve years yep. uh, to come, yep. and that's contributing to that uh, permanent shift in the age structure. Of the right. So one of the things that's going on right now, but as you say, it's not the only thing, and it's not the permanent thing, is this bulge in the population, the baby boom, um, is is uh, you know growing older, and as this big population moves into older age. The average age of the U.S., by definition, starts to go up. But it will continue to go up even – it's not dependent on the baby boom, right? It will continue to go up because we're living, we're living longer. However, there is a short-term crunch on health care, right, because uh, there are so many people moving into a period where at least some of them will end up in um, institutions of various kind or very uh, – for sure, very man- many more – home health care, and so this is causing a big bulge. But it's not uh, an indication that people are in those circumstances longer. It is simply that so many of those folks uh, in the baby boom are hitting that point at exactly the same time. Right? This is all making me feel better. Um, how are you feeling about this, Dan? Better? Fabulous. There you go. Much better. Uh, all right. So, James, let's get to the heart of this issue here, and that is so far – unmitigated good thing, right? And that is we're all going to live longer. No one thinks this is a bad idea. (laughs) At the very least, people who are approaching traditional mortality years and are going to be living longer, nobody thinks that's a bad idea. Uh, But there are people that are worried about uh, the effects of this on society and the effects on the economy. What, What are their concerns? And let's see if we can deal with them. Well, there a number of concerns that that come out, and uh, they're they're addressed in the in the uh, the report. Um, one one of which has to do with well, uh, if people are living longer and uh, staying in jobs longer, is that going to uh, decrease um, uh, the ability of individual younger individuals to progress in their careers? Yeah. Are these yeah. older adults working longer going to slow that uh, down, you know, uh, right. they're concerned, will there be enough younger workers to support those older workers mm-hmm. in terms of uh, uh, paying for uh, benefits, uh, et cetera? So well, let's, uh, let's take those, yeah, come. let's take them one at a time. So the first one is, is the idea that older folks are clogging the pipeline, I suppose, right? Um, and here's an interesting a- anecdote. Um, the uh, beginning of mandatory retirement um, Ask Dan this trivia question. Do you happen to know who started mandatory retirement and uh, why? Otto von Bismarck. He started Social Security. He started Social Security. Good guess, uh, but no. Um, mandatory retirement. Bismarck started uh, the first Social Security program. German and, Chancellor from the 1920s. Yep, uh, earlier. Um, yeah. Who uh, set the retirement age at 65 when everybody was dying in their 50s, so it was yeah. a pretty cheap program to run. Uh, but the reason there was people were moving in from the farms to the cities. And, you know, if you were older on a farm and your kids took over the farm, they kind of took care of you, right? There were always some things you could do around the farm. Yeah. If you're working in a factory and you can't do that anymore, boom, out. So he was taking care of that. You started uh, mandatory retirement. Thanks for asking, Dan. It was the Sears Roebuck Company. And the reason they started it was because they felt that – uh, they could not get their senior people to mentor and develop junior people as long as the senior people felt the junior people were going to bump them out of their job. Mm. So it was pretty clever, right? Uh, and so the idea was um, that if you got to go anyway, mandatory retirement, then um, 
you know, you might as well develop these people behind you, right? But I think uh, the idea that uh, people need to keep working, right, if you're going to be living a lot longer, you probably do have to pay for this somehow, and we do have to work longer. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to stay in the same job, right? Um, so you could do something different. Uh, James, do you know anything about the extent to which that is happening now? I know in the corporate world, I don't run into anybody who seems to retire at 65 anymore. People are leaving those jobs in their 50s, right? So I don't think they're clogging any pipeline there. Uh, do you have a sense of the transition out of uh, you know, these career-like jobs into other things, retiring from companies and when they're doing it, that sort of stuff? Well, cer- certainly, Peter, there are uh, companies, plenty of companies that still have mandatory uh, retirement um, um, for for their, especially for a number of their their senior executives. Yep. Um, so that 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 is very much in place. But there are more trends now towards uh, what are referred to as phased retirement, mm-hmm. where individuals start to back off uh, what they're doing. Uh, their companies now um, using that, bringing back retired workers to help do some of that mentoring when a lot of institutional knowledge is being lost with you know, or with particular clients. You know, uh, so there there are steps being taken to try and do some innovation uh, around that. And I, mm-hmm. I hope that employers will continue to do more of that to make the, those, uh, you know, when you're in your 50s, 60s, into 70s, a time where there's more flexibility for workers to come in and out of the workforce as needed to help them, but also to help, help the companies that, that they're working for. Yeah, let's talk about that uh, for a minute. Before we do that, let me remind listeners what we're doing. We're talking about the aging of the American um, Society, American population, and of course in the workforce too, with James Appleby, who's the CEO of the Gerontological Society of America, and the new report, Longevity Economics, Leveraging the Advantages of the Aging uh, Society. So uh, this is, I think, uh, this is the hard topic to talk about, and that is age discrimination, right? Um, because it seems to be very pervasive, but some measures suggest it is more severe than uh, sex-based or race-based discrimination. And here's just a practical way to see this. If you think about comedians telling jokes, right, um, they almost, uh, across the board, you still get a lot of jokes about older people, right? And in a way that you would not get jokes about women unless it's women comedians telling them or about race unless it's people from that race telling that joke. Uh, But everybody's telling, can still tell age jokes, right? Yeah, but... uh different uh, way to look at that same phenomenon is this. Since age and aging is a relative factor, we all aspire to be older. Yes, we do. And whereas race and gender, at least at 20 years ago, whatever right. race and gender you're born at, you stay there. You at, stay there, right. People are more comfortable making age-related cracks, which would reflect discriminatory attitudes, than they are race or gender. It doesn't mean there's more discrimination. It just means really? people are more open about it. Really? Uh, James, I'm hoping you'll disagree with Dan because that's the fun part of the uh, yeah. program here. Uh, but uh, I do because here's what I think. Uh, I don't think people are saying, well, uh, making fun of old people, uh, but that's okay because I know soon I'll be there. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're thinking that way. Uh, I think they're they're making fun of them because partly because – they don't see themselves as the same, you know. You're and just it's saying not, that because you're sixty something. It's not. You wouldn't know. It's not better. just good-natured kind of, you know. Oh, isn't Grandpa <laughs> cute here? You know, and I look forward to being like Grandpa. I don't think that's what they're doing. James, what do you think? What's going on with age discrimination? Do you think what's behind this? 
Well, uh, Peter, I, I do have to d- disagree with with Dan a little bit here. Good for um, you. Good. <laughs> age discrimination and, and ageism in general um, is uh, is so pervasive. We we literally don't don't see it. And uh, even the three of us on this call, I suspect, in the past twenty four hours, have said something that uh, you could clearly refer to as as ageist. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's so ingrained culturally uh, in in in, uh, in American society that we don't we don't notice it. And one of the things that we try to be careful about in the in aging community when talking about ageism is ageism is not to compare it to other forms of discrimination, not okay. to racism or mm-hmm. sexism. Okay. For the very particular reason that once you start to do that, then the listener starts to rank them in order of importance in their mind, which okay. is which, which mm-hmm. is which is which. And which is what we're ageism doing. then go, goes to the bottom, right? I'm least worried about ageism. Yeah. I'm more worried about racism or sexism or ageism. So we, we try to just uh, point out that what ageism is about in terms of yep. uh, discriminating against someone based typically solely upon their age and misconceptions you have about their ability to be productive, their cognitive uh, capacity, their ability to use technology, everything that goes, that goes into it. So ageism is very real, and uh, we're hoping uh, here at the, the Gerontological Society of America that some work we're doing with other colleague organizations can really begin to get people to dig into their attitudes around aging and to begin to change uh, their perception about, uh, about older adults, because after all, um, we're all just younger versions of our older selves. Yeah. We we yeah. will be an older adult one day. If we're lucky, right? That's the that's yes. that's the yeah. good news and that's why everybody's got a stake in uh, reducing age discrimination because you're going to be in that boat at some point here. So, in terms of the big things that people worry about with respect to aging, uh, it really has to do with money mainly, right? And that is um, you know, how are we going to pay for this? Am I missing anything or is that the whole enchilada here? Well, uh, certainly, certainly, money's uh, part of it, and fi- financial concerns. And I, I should say that this uh, this report that looks at the at the advantages of an aging population was supported by Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and they mm-hmm. have a deep commitment to understanding how people think about finances and uh, uh, as, as they age. Um, but really, uh, it, perhaps even bigger than than that is is the worry about health. Uh, work that uh, the Bank of America Merrill Lynch has done shows that health is really the issue that concerns people, and in particular, concerns about their cognitive decline and, and uh, Alzheimer's disease. Okay. That is really hmm. the thing that that concerns people more so than than cancer or heart disease, huh. etc. That huh. con- concern about cognitive decline is the the big thing. Huh. So. Uh, for people who are approaching those ages, they're thinking about themselves anyway. Um, more than, gosh, I'm going to run out of money, they're thinking, I'm going to get dementia. That seems to be the number one concern. Huh? That's, it's, a very, it's a very big uh, big worry for them, I, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's you know, a perfectly appropriate uh, thing. I think let's go back to public policy for a second and think about – um, some of the other things. So you mentioned the lump of labor story. I think we talked about that. That's this idea that if older people come back into the workforce, there won't be enough jobs for uh, for younger people. Um, and, you know, we know that's not true, right? The population can grow. The labor force can grow. And that doesn't mean that people necessarily lose jobs. There is one quirky little part of this uh, that Dan remember. We had our colleague Paul Harrington on here the other mm-hmm. day, uh, labor economist at Drexel, who studies local labor markets looking at Philadelphia and inner cities. And one of the things that he noticed was that uh, older individuals are coming back into retail jobs. Um, 
you know, unskilled jobs, checkers, baggers, mm-hmm. fast food, that sort of stuff, which does seem to be about the only opportunity for, you know, high school kids to to work. So they are kind of in competition there. But in more broadly in the in the population, you know, probably not an issue, right? They're not really uh, – it's not taking jobs away in that sense. Well, even if it's not taking jobs away, if you have older people in higher paid positions of power and they're staying in them longer, does it slow the opportunities for advancement and promotion of, of younger people? Uh, well, in that company – course it would, mm-hmm. right? So the question is, you know, what happens um, more broadly? Do those folks go end up going someplace else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I think the the story about working longer doesn't have to mean that people stay in the same job longer, right? Okay. And I think actually the evidence is pretty clear that people don't really want to do that. You know, they don't want to keep doing the same job they were doing longer. They want to do some different things. And this is the the problem. I think we experienced a little bit of this during the Great Recession when people's portfolios declined, their 401ks, yep. their retirement income, and they didn't want to retire uh, because of that. But beyond that, I think uh, there doesn't seem to be a trade-off. So, James, what else would you like people to think about? So we've dealt with a couple of myths here. The big concern people are worried about is is health, and that's obviously a big one, their own mental decline in particular. The public policy concern is how are we going to pay for this and we know the answer to that, the only smart way to do this, but the sensible one is people keep working longer in different ways, often in different jobs. Um, what else would you like people to take away from this report and more generally about the topic of aging? Well, I, I think it's important to reinforce uh, what you were just covering, Peter, that um, numerous studies have proven that higher rates of employment among older adults positively correlate with higher employment for younger workers. So mm-hmm. it's clear that uh, it's a good thing that uh, older individuals are working later into, uh, into the life course. Yep. I think that the other thing for, for employers and for employees alike to be very mindful of on, on the issue of, of age discrimination has to do with the hiring process. There have been uh, numerous studies that demonstrate that um, uh, resumes, that individuals looking through resumes, if they can pick up cues that suggest someone is uh, past a certain age, they are much less likely to invite that person in for, for an interview. And right. I think that's particularly important nowadays when, the, due to the large number of applicants, you know, artificial intelligence uh, applications are being used to screen resumes, et cetera, and it sort of yep. raises the question, mm-hmm. are we systematically excluding highly capable individuals uh, that could make a real contribution to companies yep. simply mm-hmm. because of their age. I think that's that's a big issue for the American workforce. Yeah, if you're an employer and you really are concerned about trying to get skilled people who are ready to work and already trained and have good performance and good social skills, all that kind of stuff, and we're ignoring these guys, this is a big mistake. And, Dan, here's something I learned from you. But uh, employers, if you're thinking about uh, uh, redesigning your hiring, let's talk about employ. Employment limiting, uh, what, what age limited uh, or uh, experience, experience, experience limiting advertising? Limited. God, I got that one wrong. Experience limiting uh, advertisements or jobs. What do they say? What are those things? Um, the ads that raise concerns with me are ads that say we want someone with experience in this field, but only at least two, but only five years of experience. Yeah, we're looking to five to ten years, which are actually experience. pretty common. Yeah, there's a wave of cases in the early '90s, actually, I just age myself. Uh, that in which those not that there's anything wrong with age discrimination. Yeah. Uh, I think the better practice is to say at least two years. 
Just yeah. leave it at that. Right. Because uh, if you say five to ten years, you're basically s- ruling out people who are older. You're saying 11, too much experience, yeah. 11 years. So you well, can't do it this because it it, it's crazy, right? And, and there are some ways to defend that, but it's probably a, a situation an employer does not want to be in defending yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, James, one last thought here. If people want to get a copy of the report, where do they go? Uh, they can go to GSA's website, which is www.geron, that's G-E-R-O-N, dot org. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.